So it's October. The smell of pumpkin and spice is in the air. Here in Florida, we finally got a reprieve from the sweltering summer heat. And for me, it's an especially joyful time of year. I, for one, love Halloween. I'm a big fan of horror movies in general, and the pinball machines I own are coincidentally all related to horror themes. I've got Bram Stoker's Dracula, The Creature from the Black Lagoon, Monster Bash Remake, and soon I'll be getting an Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle in December. So I've got the spooky pins, and I generally set my multicades to horror-themed games. So I've got, along with the pinball machines, I've got a Popeye, uh, Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr., Miss Pac-Man, and I've got a Pac-Man machine that I've turned into a multicade with a CRT, and I run all of the old-style games that really just look better on a CRT monitor. Then I've got a um, Ghouls and Ghosts custom main machine that's got a 32-inch LCD, and so I'll set that up to, obviously, Ghouls and Ghosts. So, put on some spooky music, put the LED lights in the room on purple and green, and I've got all the makings for a pretty rad Halloween party. What's missing here is the scary. There's generally nothing horrifying about playing pinball or arcade games. And despite my extensive research, I've yet to come across any haunted or possessed pinball machines. Which, by the way, if such a machine existed, I would buy in a heartbeat. Now, considering that our inaugural episode is in the month of October, I want to talk about horror. So I called up a few friends and put together some pinball horror stories. So get comfortable and dim the lights. Because in those moments, when you've got it rough and you think someone else probably has it worse, well, these are those worst stories. Greetings, and welcome to This American Pinball. I'm your host, Joshua Jacobs. Here at This American Pinball, much like This American Life, each month we pick a theme and tell stories related to that theme. The first is a quick personal story about the delivery of my beloved Monster Bash LE. So the day finally comes when my long-awaited Monster Bash is being delivered. Right on schedule, the 18-wheeler rolls down the street and stops in front of my house. The men get out and hand me the paperwork. The older gentleman, the driver, tells the new guy to hop back in the back and get the cargo. As the new guy does so, the older gentleman asks me what's inside the box and I let him know it's a pinball machine. Whenever people ask me about my deliveries and it's pinball or arcade related, their response is always one of surprise and inquiry. He didn't know people still played pinball and was interested in what machine it was. And while he didn't know what Monster Bash was, we chatted up about 
pinball and his memories. And I always find it so fascinating and just so joyful to see that sort of nostalgic flame light up in people whenever they see these machines, especially if I'm working on something in the garage. Right now I've got a, uh, a dig dug that I'm restoring and I'm working on the creature. And when they see these things, they just sort of, like I said, they light up. You know, you can see that they've got this sort of connection uh, to childhood, you know, or even as a young adult uh, to these machines. And it's just always nice to see them reconnect with that memory. Anyway, we continued our conversation. And the new fella in the back, uh, having strapped up my machine to the dolly, He had successfully lowered the lift and started tilting the dolly down, making his way off the lift gate. In an abrupt call-out, the older delivery man, who I was chatting with, shouted, No! Don't come off at an angle! Then an event that could only be described as a nightmare happened. So, there was an accident. Well... Let's be serious, it was a bloody catastrophe. I stood frozen in shock as my pin crashed to the ground, in what seemed like slow motion. The box was packed with the topper encased in some press board and scraps of plywood stapled together. This was strapped to the top of the box with like the nylon strapping that they come with. And whenever the the whole pin crashed to the ground, the protective casing just exploded on impact, and scraps of wood just scattered all about the street. Uh, The upright topper skidded across the asphalt and then just sort of, like, flopped right near the curb uh, of my driveway. Uh, We all, myself and the delivery man, rushed to the box and picked it up, and, of course, apologies started flying. Now, I am a very patient man, and for lack of a better description, a person with limited emotional range. And perhaps it was this, or maybe even shock, but of course I was in complete disbelief, and I started running through my head, you know, what do I need to do? You know, I figured I needed to make note on the shipping document for sure, but I couldn't help but just wonder, you know, how often does this happen? And so I spoke with my distributor from Little Shop of Games here in Florida, Marshall Dixon. How often do you have any sort of shipping incidents? I mean, is it something that is very rare or, you know, is it fairly common? The, uh, well, it depends on the shipper that you use. Ah, okay. Sometimes people try to go cheap and they'll get, uh, use someone like Roadrunner, Mm -hmm. which um, all, all the shipping is usually done by less than load companies. So you have to kind of book your freight have your games picked up from the manufacturers and then uh, they get taken to, from those trucks to depots and then moved off to either other trucks or sometimes they, they get to drive straight through but usually it's a lot of different stops and every time it stops and somebody touches it or it moves from one truck to another there's a possibility of more things happening uh. but uh, some carriers are are um, rougher than others lately I've been using AAA Cooper Mm-hmm. or R&L, and um, they're a little bit more expensive, but the, the games arrive intact. And usually um, we try to stick with some companies that have shipped games before so they're aware of the cargo that they're carrying. 
so that they're not just some novice company throwing around a box. Right. No, like I recently, I bought a Bram Stoker's Dracula not long ago from a company uh, in Vegas uh, that was used, obviously. And they shipped the game and I was going to meet the guy in the parking lot and pick it up and just put it in the back of my pilot. And thank God I didn't because they shipped it with the legs on. And I was like, what the hell? I had never seen that before. I was like, why the hell didn't they take the legs off? So I was, thank God he was able to get it to the house because I was like, well, yeah, I would have been just dumbfounded at what that mess was. Right. So. So was it, was it wrapped or? Yeah, it was wrapped up. It, you know, they did a really good job and, and everything was fine with it. But I, yeah, I was just thinking like, holy shit. <laughs> so the head was down? Yeah, yeah, the head was down and everything was strapped up. They just kept the legs on. And I was like, huh, that's weird. Why didn't they just pull them off and then strap them? I, I don't know. I didn't get it. But yeah, And they didn't thing. take the balls out of the game either. And wow. So, yeah, they were still in the trough. I was like, oh, good God. Yeah, so there's different uh, ways to ship. You can use, some people do a company called Fastenal, mm-hmm. or Fastenal, where you have to pack the game up yourself, take it to their, their distro center, their hub and then it goes out to another fastenal hub and the receiver has to go and pick it up from there that's one of the most efficient ways to go okay so now back to my monster bash story so i called marshall he uh let me know you know just mark it check everything out and then give him a call back uh and i did both i I inspected the box and, and took photos i opened the box to make sure everything was okay uh, the machine was well-packed and secure. Kudos to those at Chicago Gaming. Uh, there wasn't a single scratch or dent on, on, the, on the box. And really, you know, like, with the exception of the topper casing, which was in utter shambles, uh, there wasn't any evidence that there had ever been an accident. And, and the topper was fine. It had remained upright, like I said, when it skidded across the asphalt, and any and all damage was taken by the protective casing. However, a bad delivery is still a scary situation. And so when I spoke to Marshall, I asked him, if things go awry, what do you do? The first thing you should do is, before you sign the paper telling the the driver that everything's good or everything's okay, make the notations on the on the form so that the driver can confirm that there is damage. Um, if you have, you can take photographs of it, try to show as much as possible at the moment of delivery so that there's not the he said, she said right. kind of action. Um, Stern recommends having the game shipped straight back if it comes from them. So I, drip, I drop ship around the country, and um, we had some problems with the Jurassic Parks where... Someone stuck a forklift through the box and it scratched up the artwork, but didn't damage the game. And but if you send it back, then you've got to wait for that exact game to come back to you. They don't just ship a new one and repair it. So it could take a month or so before you get your game back. And a lot mm. of people are hesitant to let that go and waiting for it for so long. And right, the, here it is in my hands, but I can't have it. So, uh, but it is. Um, if it's something that you can feel that's not, there's no real damage to it, maybe just a, a naked decal that can be replaced. Um, you can touch, reach to the box and touch it and feel things. Right. Um, usually if there's a mark or a hole in it, you should try to pull the cardboard back, cut it a little more even to see that nothing did get damaged inside. Um, but if, if you hear clinking noises and you see something that's really uh, 
messed up, then uh, you would write on the on the documents that there's um, visible damage and then possible hidden damage. And then from there, would you just deny, you know, would you say like, okay, I'm not going to accept the delivery and then call? Yeah, you could refuse the shipment as well. Okay. And then it goes back to the original shipper and um, figure out what happened then. Hopefully they insured the package. Some guys don't and find out till later that you're not covered for anything. But I always put extra insurance on because uh, spending another $100 is better than being stuck with nothing. Right. So, like, if it wasn't insured, do you just get stuck with, like, a busted-up game? Um, yeah. You've got to, Well, you've got the busted-up game, and then you've got to work out with the guy that sold it to you what happened. Right. Um, oh, man, that sucks. Well, I guess you could have, like, a parts machine, but still, like, for something brand new, it's like, you know, what are you going to do with it? Yeah. So if it's damaged enough, you just refuse it, and it gets sent back. And then, um, but... Also, um, a lot of people in the hobby are pretty handy. So we've had a game that did get damaged. We filed the insurance claim. Everything was um, fine with it. And then before we even got the, the decision back, it cobbled the game together and made everything work. So we ended up just um, having to get some decals to um, replace the scratched decals. But he had rebuilt the cabinet and it was, was on his way. So there's a couple of options depending on the damage and how much experience you have with game repair. I myself am more of a DIY guy, so I can see if the cabinet had some minor damage to just re-decal the machine or replace a few parts, that sort of thing. However, if you do order a new inbox, it's probably best to have thought about what to do in a worst case scenario. And recently, and I say recently, I bet that it was a few months ago, uh, Zach Minnie from This Week in Pinball and Straight Down the Middle released a video regarding a Wonka that showed up in a far-beyond-the-average-repair sort of state. More like forklift-smashed-into kind of state. And although the information is very similar, it's still a video I highly recommend. Because it's in these moments of, of crisis and stress that our minds are often terrible at making decisions. And thus it's best to do a bit of research and pre-plan for the worst. It's a concept known as proactive thinking. So my pin was fine and it works just fine and, and plays wonderfully. Uh, so all's well that ends well. However, there are other stories that have less than happy endings. More when we come back. So last weekend, I went to a pinball Halloween party where the City of Five Flags Pinball League was holding a tournament. I entered, and although this was my first venture in competition play, I did pretty well. The games I played were F-14 Tomcat, 
Batman 66, 8-Ball Deluxe, and The Getaway. And while I was there, I was able to talk to some of the other players at the party and see if they had any pinball horror stories to tell. The first comes from John Cope, a collector and local operator in Navarre, Florida. Uh, so we're talking about, it's October, it's Halloween, and we're talking about pinball horror stories and or arcade horror stories. But I know you've got one in particular that you traveled pretty far to go and it didn't turn yeah, out Yeah, I kind of went crazy. When I got my first machine, you know, one machine leads into another. Mm-hmm. And they just seem to multiply. I'm up to 27 machines now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this one in particular, it was, a, it was the second machine I think I purchased. Um, it was a 1965 Bola Strike that I found uh, for sale up in uh, North Carolina around the Charlotte area. Mm-hmm. And, okay, I've got a lucky strike already. Well, this would be a good game to match it. Right. And uh, so I decided, okay, I'm going to buy this machine. He had it for sale for $500. Pictures came out great uh, from, from a distance, but, man, I drove all that way. I can't remember how many. I want to say it was 10 or 11 hours up there. Got up there. As soon as he turned that machine on, he had hand-painted all the stuff on that bag of glass. Mm. And you could see all the brush strokes. And, uh, and the game had uh, screen door. Uh, he, made, he used the screen door material for uh, rubber rings on the play field. And they were electrical taped in the backside where you couldn't see it underneath the plastics. Wow. And, and I'm sitting there, okay, I just drove all this way for this thing. But I was already committed. I'd already paid for it up front. So I loaded it up, brought it home, started working on it. And... Uh, things started coming together started rounding up parts uh a very good friend of mine down in orlando uh had drawn up the artwork for the uh, lucky strike which uh john john Greatwich uh produces and uh you can buy those back glasses on uh, pinball uh, uh planetary pinball planetary, okay and um but he took uh he felt bad for me after seeing what i had bought and then uh, he took and redid the artwork and uh, made a bowl of strike glass and uh, we had john Greatwich print those up and the game uh, is going to live again. So, nice. Uh, got all the parts rounded up about halfway through the restoration now. So I've had the game for quite a while, just haven't had time to work on it. So. But, uh, no, the, even even a guy in South Florida came up with the new plastic sets for it. Oh, that's and, cool. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I can't wait to get the game done and get it out and start putting it in shows and let people enjoy it. Right. Uh, there was only 1,400 of those produced. So I'm looking forward to getting it out and letting people it enjoy it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, uh, John, thanks for being on the show. No, thank you for having me here. I appreciate it. I enjoyed uh, talking about my pinball stuff. Yes, sir. Awesome. Uh, yeah, thank, thank you very much. I, for one, am excited to see this project finished. As John said, there were only 1,400 machines made, and according to Pinside, there are only seven others who have this game in their collection. So to say it's rare would be an understatement. And despite felonious repairs made by the previous owner, it's nice to hear that this game will live again. It's alive! Our second story comes from Jamie Boyd, the creator of the City of Five Flags Pinball League. And we're talking to Jamie Boyd, who's been uh, gracious enough to allow us into his home to play a pinball tournament, and this is the Five Flags Pinball League? Yep, City of Five Flags, Pensacola, Florida Pinball League. Awesome. And I did okay tonight. I you did okay. I didn't do great, man. I, did okay. I don't remember giving you money at the end no, of the night, no. but, but you did all right. Yeah, I did okay. The real key is, and the way I measure success is, did you have fun? I did. And every game that we played, with the exception of F-14 Tomcat, I've never played before. 
<laughs> okay. So. That's, that's, a, that's interesting because that's actually one of the most popular ones that we have. So. Yeah, I've pl- I played that at uh, the Emerald Coast Con last year. Yeah. And then... Um, Oh, no, and I played your game. Of, I think it was your Game of Thrones that, was there. I did. I, yeah. My Game of Thrones, and that would have been John's... Um, John's F4. Tomcat yeah, was yeah. up there. Yeah, so I did play the Game of Thrones. Uh, so we're talking pinball horror stories, because it's October. Well, pinball ownership... Um, my horror game... I mean, you could probably pick any of the ten or so that are out in the garage in shambles. Um, but... Uh, Honestly, I've been working on John's uh, Nitro Ground Shaker for two years, and it has just been one nightmare after another. <laughs> the play field on that was, um, I don't know, it, it's water damaged and it's so dried out, so I, I think it's been through many cycles of high humidity and extreme dryness, mm-hmm. and it's just, once you do that so many times to plywood, it flakes and falls apart. Right. So he asked me to clear coat it and do a touch-up job about two years ago, and it's still sitting in my garage, and it's a lot better than it was, but um, as far as a pinball horror show, that is probably about um, about as scary as it gets, because every time you put some clear coat down and you go to sand it flat, some more of the original artwork chips off on it. Right. Um, then you got your ones that you work on, and it seems like you're always working on, and you just can't quite get right. And uh, a good example that I have is my roller games, where no matter what I do, the ramp does not feed smoothly into the three different sort of outlanes of the ramp. Um, mm-hmm. It's a finicky, it's just a finicky ramp system on roller games, and if the speed and the angles and all the parts aren't just exactly lined up correctly, it just does not flow very well. Um, and then uh, my absolute horror of any pinball machine is just one that you turn on and people start playing and all of a sudden the ball gets stuck oh yeah yeah. I I take a lot of I I try to take a lot of pride and I make sure that my games are 100% ready to go and uh, no problems but I don't care who you are as a pinball owner it's going to happen at some point that that something is going to get stuck or something's not going to work And I totally agree with Jamie on this last point. There's nothing worse than having a big party planned and you've spent the day before cleaning the games and waxing the playfields, ensuring everything is working right. And of course, when the guests arrive and they approach the game you've been talking up, all of the sudden... Then, the next thing you know, you're standing in front of your game, covered in pig's blood. And the fingers start to point in the laughing and, well, it's the stuff of nightmares. Our third story is from Bill Dodd, pinball enthusiast and arcade guru. Oh yeah, this is uh, this time of year for this, right? The, the horror and spooky oh, yeah, uh, exactly. aspects of pinball. Um, yeah, so, you know, in collecting, you, you end up with a lot of these things, and I guess I've got two that are short. Um, so, really early on, and um, for me, so I've only been collecting for a couple of years, in 2014, I picked up one of those, uh, uh, it was a Sega Star Wars, so mm-hmm. uh, probably the least good of the Star Wars is, um, <laughs> and uh, this, you know, was, you know, I think a lot of folks that have ever tried to buy a used game might, might you know, have uh, some connection to this, because, like, you know, 
doing the whole, hey, show me some pictures, uh, what's the condition? Oh, you know what, it just needs a $2 part and you're good to go. When I shut it down last, it mostly worked. It's just that, uh, um, yeah, it was just a $2 part. Could you explain to me maybe what that $2 part was? Oh, I, I, I maybe a transistor maybe? Um, so I get this uh, Star Wars uh, trilogy pinball from this guy. It was, um, I overpaid to begin with, um, I didn't know better. And he delivers it, and I, I've never seen a person leave so fast down my driveway. He was, you know, I think he was laughing like a Scooby-Doo villain. Um, and so it took me, um, I started taking that thing apart, and it's missing. It's got the wrong board, wrong power board. Like, it's not even the right architecture um, crammed in the back glass. It's got, um, you know, it's missing some of those sort of irreplaceable plastics that are specific to the game. And... Um, it took me maybe three times the value of the game to um, ever get the thing even where I could flip it for the first time and, and maybe three or four months. And Wow. Um, so you get to that point in the end of it where you're like, is this, is this still fun? I guess it's fun. Um, but, and I did, I ended up, with the, now there was a positive ending to that. So I ended up meeting a lot of really cool pinball people when I was, um, I played a couple games on it, got it restored listed it for um, uh, 50% less than what I had in it, I think. And I ended up meeting um, uh, some Marshall, um, you know, some local collector that we've met. That's actually how I met him. He was he came out to the house to check it out, and um, we, um, you know, we hit it off and, you know, just sat there and flipped and played and hung out and talked about all the things that people talk about. And so, I, eh, you know, I, it's, it's most things. Even the horror stories sometimes have, um, have good endings. And then... Um, you know, on the really, really creepy and bad side of things, I've had, um, you know, I've been in the in the distributor uh, cycle before where you have a pre-order and you, you know, um, do that thing where you buy a game that you've never, never played. For me, that was The Hobbit. Um, so I went out and um, I remember seeing one on show floor, but it had a lot of folks and uh, Jack was sitting in front of a, a big fancy microphone and so I didn't stop and interrupt and play. I went home and so impressed with Wizard of Oz, I ordered it um, from a distributor that had a really great reputation. And we um, ended in this crazy scenario where you have a pinball machine that's, you know, around $9,000 that's fully paid for and nobody can tell you when it's going to ship or if it's going to ship. Um, and I know a lot of, you know, eventually, happy news, everybody eventually did get their Hobbit. Um, but that was a little scary for me because uh, I didn't realize that you could, you know, take people's, you know, like full payment and not deliver a game. So I have a lot of, um, a lot of uh, feelings for those folks out there that are kind of hung up on the... Uh, oh, the Big Lebowski? Yeah, the Big yeah. Lebowski and the alien folks. And just like, yeah, it's... It's tough. So um, I felt and then four people from uh, Suncoast didn't yeah. get their Cosmic Carnival. So yep. yeah, so it's um, that part of it's kind of scary, and 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 uh, but you know it. You know, I guess it is what it is. Lesson learned. Uh, now I know I will never do a pre-order. <laughs> That's not for me. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, both stories, while scary at the time, had a pretty happy ending. One, I met a cool dude, and the other one. Um, well, I ended up meeting another cool dude and sold a game. But, you know. Then I asked Bill, what are his top five horror-themed pins? Oh, in, in, in your order. My order. So um, I'm biased towards Scared Stiff. As a Scared Stiff owner, um, 
So I think for me, quintessential Halloween, there was a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air episode. Hold up. We need the right music for this. Quintessential Halloween, there was a Fresh Prince of Bel-Air episode where um, they had built this uh, haunted house based out of solenoids and um, air compressor gimmicks. And, you know, they had these, like, kind of pop-out things. Uh, and I, for some reason, and, you know, all of the furniture is covered in the fabric, like the white fabric that always inevitably gets lifted up on a string to look like a ghost. <laughs> and um, for some reason, Scared Stiff, even though I don't have any connection with um, the Elvira properties, like her television properties, is the quintessential Halloween experience for me. Um, so that's probably number one, um, and, I, and I've got one, so I'm biased there. Uh, Monster Bash 2, um, more on theme, or on gameplay than theme, though. Um, you know, Monster Bash isn't scary at all. It's so well lit, um, and it's so fun, and it has such a vibrant energy, but it's in that, you know, it's in that theme, so why Yeah, not? Universal Monsters, it's, the aesthetic is there. That's right. <laughs> um... Uh, so the new monsters, um, the new monsters game. So I had a, I do have some affinity for the monsters franchise growing up, coming home from school watching that. So I think that's um, the light shows on that are really great, and that's probably my three. I'd go to haunted house, of course. Um, you got to have the lower play field, and um, there's something about even the sound coming through that. I don't know what eight-bit chip tune synthesizer or whatever the hell that had um, is. It's, they found a way to make it creepy. You know, Devil's Dare does, too. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's probably my last, I'd say, Devil's Dare. It's, um, it's got the red. It's got the color. The back glass and the art has that pop. The, um, the devil character in the back has this crazy, scaly character mm-hmm. to his, um, characteristic to his art. And I just think that's great. So, yeah, that's probably my, oh, that's probably yeah, my see, My mind fit. Uh, yeah, mine's almost in reverse with your top two. Monster Bash, number one, and it's just because I have it. Yeah. <clears throat> Elf Scared Stiff is number two, because I remember playing that as a kid and just loved it. And then I've grown to like Elvira mm-hmm. uh, over the years when I went back and watched her shows. And number three for me, even though I've never played it, just on theme alone, I'm going to go Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, yeah, good one. Good call. Yeah. I'm going to go there. Uh, number four... Twilight Zone. Oh, I never yeah. considered. Yeah. <clears throat> I would go Twilight Zone. Uh, and then five is not a horror theme pin at all, but it's spooky enough in this fun house. Because Rudy's kind of <laughs> creepy. Rudy's pretty creepy, man. Yeah. So. No, no, that's okay. Um, how about an honorable mention for Tales from the Crypt? Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. Definitely. Man, that door knocker like shooter is, uh, man, yeah, that's, that's cool. That's cool. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think I think you're right. Rudy may be the scariest thing on the whole list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's something about that, and I don't know. Like, um, and that's not one that I've played physically. I've played huh. it on pinball arcade, and there's something about it that I think it's more sinister than, at least to me, it feels more sinister than I think it's than it really is. Sure. But it seems that way. But I may just be thinking about that uh, '80s horror movie, Dummy. Uh, which is the reason why <laughs> sure. I'm shirking that. Anytime you have a ventriloquist dummy that uh, doesn't have a hand involved, it's bad. Yeah, exactly. If he's moving, yeah, not good news. Exactly, exactly. Um, somebody made a connection to me once that I never realized, and it's um, a local pinball guy, uh, we call him sort of the mad scientist, uh, Cody. He, uh, 
he said that um, he made the connection that Tron and Funhouse are very similar. And I never, and I have a previous Tron owner, I never made that connection. He even calls Tron Tron House. Hmm. Um, but I, I guess if you were to look, uh, the shot map is very similar. And it's, uh, it's a connection I never made because the theme is so important to the game that it, it, you just don't notice. You right. get stuck in the Daft Punk and the Tron. You get stuck worried that Rudy's going to follow you home and Funhouse. Right. And, so, yeah. Yeah, exactly, cool. exactly. Just a quick correction here. The movie I was thinking of wasn't Dummy, but had a ventriloquist dummy in it. And it was 1976's Magic with Anthony Hopkins. And it's not like a horror horror movie. It's a psychological horror film. Uh, but I remember seeing that as a kid. And it was, it was just the ventriloquist dummy alone is just terrifying. Abracadabra, I sit on his knee. Presto, change and now he is me. Hocus pocus, we take her to bed. Magic is free. We're dead. And it wasn't just me that thought that uh, Rudy was creepy. I think everybody can kind of agree with that. But here's an excerpt from uh, my talk with John. Let's see. And, you know, like one that I put as number five on my list was uh, Funhouse. Even though it's not horror theme, Rudy's still pretty Rudy's spooky. creepy. <laughs> Reminds me of that. Uh, what movie was that? Uh... De- uh, Dead Silence, the one with yeah. the lady with the puppets. Mm-hmm. That, that's what he looks like. Yes, exa- exactly. Add a little yes. bit of mascara to his face and he'd be in. No, that's exactly true. Yes, definitely. Definitely. The, um, when Rudy so, talks after the game's off, something's wrong. Right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Now, it wouldn't be a Halloween show if I didn't mention the new Elvira game. And although I haven't played it, Marshall, who you heard at the beginning of the program, has. And here's what he had to say about it. We're doing, or since I'm doing this podcast and it's October time frame, how's the new Elvira play? I've seen the videos and everything. Have you had a chance to get some time on it? Yeah, I actually uh, opened one up last night here at the house. I'm looking at it right now. Awesome. And uh, the uh, it's it's... It shoots very well. Um, the The shots are, are hungry, where it's not a lot of posts. They've got the, the blue nubs of death, kind of like a little squares. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, it's um, open shots. Dennis Norman, very uh, very satisfying game. The uh, the ramps feed the stuff straight back to your flippers, of course. The little crate mod, or the crate uh, ball lock. Oh, yeah, 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 the crypt, yeah, yeah. Well, they've got uh, the crypts on the right side. Oh, yeah, that's the right. They got the crate on the left. That's right. Yeah. And she calls it a trunk this time instead of the, the crate, but it pops up and the opening faces the back of the machine so the ball rolls into it. Oh, that's cool. Otherwise, it rolls over the top and it has two little guides, sort of like the Bride of Pinbot. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and then the light show is beautiful. They've done some really creative things with backlighting the, the butyrate and the mm-hmm. plastics that are in that make up the house. Mm-hmm. So where like on Twilight Zone you had a door in the middle of the play field and they kept track of all your your modes there. They're lighting up windows in the house. So you get um you know, LEDs behind like lock lock one and two. It has sort of a um that look like they're front illuminated but it but it's from behind. They like projections. There's one underneath the ramp of a skull. Um then they have LEDs that are hidden that light the house up too and there's a really nice light show where 
it's a focal piece of the game. Oh, that's cool. The crypt has a this like a bash toy. You hit the door, and then it rolls down, or it rolls up, and it becomes an opening, so you can lock a ball, and then it'll rotate the other way, and there's a skull, like a deadhead, with a hologram decals sort of behind it, it's all sparkly. But um, you hit that multiple times, and that's a there's just lots of different shots. The ramp lifts up into the house stairwell and goes in the basement. There's um, an optical spinner that's kind of different than the one that was on Beatles. This one, the spinner, like where I think on Beatles, the way it worked was the arm of the spinner uh, broke the beam of the opto. Mm-hmm. It sort of went in between. With this, the spinner itself does it. So the spinner is, um, as it turns around, it's, it's there's two optos that are just kind of projecting behind it. Mm-hmm. But it spins for days. It just keeps on going. So that that's um that's just really satisfying feeling. They put it on the, the new Star Wars pin also, but since Beatles and the pin, they haven't used it anywhere else. Yeah, I'm looking forward to to playing it. And <clears throat> I don't know, I may buy one down the road. I really want a scared stiff. Uh, yeah. So that that's, may that's come great. first, uh, but. But I don't know. There's several pins that I really want. I mean, I've got an ever-growing list, but it's just, oh, yes. you know, coincidentally, all the ones that I have are all sort of horror-themed mm-hmm. because I've got Bram Stoker's Dracula, the Monster Bash, a Creature from the Black Lagoon, and I've got an Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle on the way in December. I like it. It's great. I really so, like that one. So, yeah, everything's like horror-related. So I've had my eye on the Monsters. And uh, and then this new Elvira pin, and then I'm you know curious to see what if I was you know because Chicago Gaming just came out with the uh, Medieval Madness remake that they're going to do another run of it, and I was like, is that going to be? <laughs> yeah, I was like, was that going to be their big thing, or are they going to announce something later on? Yeah, you this know? one is supposed to be. It was supposed to be 250 run, mm-hmm. and then they've upped it to five and cut it at a hard five. They said Medieval is going to be after this. Uh, it's going to go away for a while. Like it's not just keep on running the games and attack from Mars is supposed to go next. So they're, they're not going to treat them like catalog titles. They're right. Putting them back in and then you know, letting them go. But the, uh, the new topper for that thing is sweet. Yes. Yes. It's really highly detailed. And then they're offering everything as a kit. So if you already have medieval madness, you can buy the color display or the, um, topper, or the RGB illumination, a separate upgrade kit. So that way, if you've already bought the game, you're not upset that this new version's come out that kind of makes yours look just regular. Right. But even just regular Medieval's a great game. Interestingly enough, like the following day after the interview with Marshall, Spooky Pinball released their new topper for Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle. And my initial thought when reading the headline was, okay, well, I guess I'll have to get this one for mine. And then I saw the pics. And nothing against spooky, but I didn't care for it. On the video, the the game integration seemed like uh, a great idea, with the brain moving and pointing you in the direction of the monsters. The gauges were also a nice touch. However, the googly eyes on the brain I could have done without... 
And if the base reflected or integrated into the castle theme better is something I would have liked to see. The, the wood look and copper piping seems a bit slapdash. Now, if the base would have looked like the castle bricks or even rusted metal to give it more of that mad scientist feel, then you'd have something there. And while we're on the topic of toppers, here's some extra tape of the interview I did with Jamie Boyd where we discussed the relevance of toppers. And I think they're, they're going to. I mean, Spooky just released a topper for it. Uh, did you, have you seen that? No. Oh. <laughs> it's kind of interesting. I actually got into a conversation today on Facebook about my absolute lack of interest in pinball toppers. <laughs> I, I just don't, I don't get them. Uh, to me, it does not add a single bit of interest to the game as far as getting into the game, playing the game, game enjoyment. Uh, and, you know, the argument on the other side, and I understand it, is that, well, it can bring the value up on a game. And uh, my, my argument is I'd rather take that $50, that $100, that $400. And, and I've got pinball machines in my garage that cost less than a lot of toppers. Right. <laughs> no, no, that's true. And, and the topper, to me, I get no enjoyment out of. And the rebuttal today I got was that, well, it's a, it's artistic. It's it's what 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 about what about alternate uh, cabinet stencils or artwork or alternate translites? And it's kind of the same thing. It, that that does not change the gameplay. That does not change my level of enjoyment of a single game. bit. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of interesting with toppers. I I it's I understand why people like them. I just never got into them. It's it's one thing if it's purely aesthetic, I could take it or leave it. If it's got some functionality within the game, like I think like a fire has got the the fire bell uh -huh. up at the top. It's a little bit different because then it adds a little something to to the game. That's not a topper. I I well, I guess I put it in a different category. It's like Whirlwind, the same thing, where it's got that fan up there. Correct. Uh, yeah. F-14, and it's got the three yeah, it's got the three. The, the three getaway, beacons. it's got the uh, police light. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. No, um, it's interesting about toppers. So um, if, if it's got something that'll enhance it, but I still think that regardless of what it is, uh, they're way overpriced for what they do. That's a fact. So you brought up, uh, you brought, you brought up uh, Spooky. Yeah. Uh, what about America's Most Haunted? I haven't played that, I, I, but I, and I'm a fan of Ben Heck, uh, and I've seen video of the game, and it, I don't know. It, that one doesn't do anything <laughs> for me, even I, though I'm such a horror fan. Yeah, I've never seen it actually in person. Um, I love the video, I've, video, the videos I've seen of it. Um, I love what on the surface seems to be the simplicity of it. Mm -hmm. I think it flows really good. Uh, I'm not, I've been waiting to see that. I've been waiting to play that one for a while. See it out in the wild. I just don't get out in the wild very often because I spend all my time in the garage uh, working on right. pinball machines, working on, working on my $50 instead of topper projects. <laughs> right. This episode of This American Pinball contained music by Lee Rosefear, Shadowlands, Port City Music, and the sound design team of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I want to thank all of our guests for contributing to this inaugural episode. And if you'd like to know more about This American Pinball, please check out our Facebook page or head on over to thisamericanpinball.com. All upcoming episodes can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean. 
And finally, when I asked Marshall, how do you feel about multiballs, he said, It's just a bunch of tears and what do I do with this? All right. That's all from me. Good day or good night. <laughs>